Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. Coming up on the Money Bee podcast, Thanksgiving's past, what's coming up for the rally? This is Money Bee from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello and welcome to the Money Bee podcast. This is Steve Grosser. I'm joined on this Black Friday with Corey Drebush and Chris Dietrich. Uh, how are your guys at Thanksgiving? It was fantastic. I um, had an assortment of pies that were most exciting. Probably the best pie selection in years. So big wow. Thanksgiving for me. Chris, you know, has the benefit of dating someone who works for the Food Network. So his culinary Thanksgiving, um, I think, Margaret <laughs> far more exceeded ours. It's true. We're we're very popular around the holidays when it comes to <laughs> you know pie baking and sides. So the cranberry cream cheese pie Ooh. went over real well. I'll just say that. And what about the cornucopia pizza? That was oh, that's a great question. We actually did have a literal breaded cornucopia where we went, although. My girlfriend didn't make it, I have to say. And the cornucopia cracked. So is that is that a bullish or bearish signal? I don't know. I don't know. Guessing bearish. Oh, yeah, I'd go bearish. What about you? You went out to Long Island? Yes. Um, first Thanksgiving out on Long Island with my husband's family. He also was a former chef, so we had some good food as well. Um, good, good corn, good broccoli, good potatoes, all scalloped and fancily put together with cheese and... Lo- local corn? They take their they take their corn pretty seriously out on Long Island. I've just <laughs> yeah, I believe recently. it was local corn, yes. Well, okay. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. I made a pie, although nothing as fancy as cream cheese cranberry. I did apple. But you, you said you did the you said you did uh, the lattice stuff. Yes, yeah, so it was latest. my first <laughs> it was my first time ever attempting a lattice top and it, it held up and I am going to Check that and maybe try it again in a year. <laughs> bullish, uh, bullish lattice technical yes. positioning. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. My son rejected all food and ate <laughs> tomatoes and cucumbers with salt. So that was our thing. That story. actually sounds quite delicious. Yeah, but that was all he ate. Uh, no, no meat, no, no potatoes, no. no squash. Do you have Got- a strategy to try to pry open the uh, his palate at some point? Are you gonna? Are you gonna? No, he, it's very hit or miss. He like he'll eat a ton and he'll eat a ton of different things, but sometimes he just wants tomatoes. Um, well, I think he needs to see that cornucopia of pizza. Ooh. I think that would get him going. He was he he you know he took a nap. He was a little bit grumpy when he woke up for the meal. I think that played a role in it. He just wanted tomatoes and and he had cookies, plenty of cookies later. Ah, well that's good. So, no, so Black Friday. Thanksgiving's over. This is actually a good time to to get us back onto topic, but it's a good time to sort of take stock of where we are. Um, you know, we've had take this stock. unintentional <laughs> pun, um, and just look at like where we've been so far this year, and especially the last uh, two weeks with this rally, and whether this rally can continue into the rest of the year. You look at it. You have small socks. Are just they're on a what a fifteen day winning streak? Fifteen days, fifteen days in a row for the first time in twenty years. Now. Twenty years, and and interestingly, they're going into now what is supposedly their best period. Yeah. Um, December starting about halfway into December, they're supposed to you know start gaining momentum and outperforming, you know the their you know bigger brethren, and then in January they they just keep pushing higher. Have they? Are they going to be able to maintain this momentum? 
It's a great question. Um, and momentum is, I think, a, a good way to, to look at it, too, because not only do you have um, sort of a snapback in the stocks, but now you also have strategies when you talk to people that kind of only make selections based on what's sort of performing relative to other things. And so you have these sort of, they call you know call them relative strength things that are now buying. So it sort of went from, I think, knee-jerk reaction to, to people understanding fundamentals to then now these sort of like quantitative models that are sort of taking hold. So it's harder to see what would derail it other than the fact that it's just up so much, right? It's like things don't grow to the sky, but there, there always has to be some reason. And it's hard to sort, sort of point to that because small caps seem to be the beneficiaries of all the different hope in the Trump administration, but also mm-hmm. like, you know, this idea, even if you get things like 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 protectionism policies, then then again, small caps would be the perceived beneficiaries. Well, that, that's, that's the really, I mean, I think the key question is the Trumponomics, no matter how you, what's, what, you know, sort of policies you slice it, small stocks seem to be the winners. Yeah. Well, the market in general, one thing um, I've talked to a lot of people today and just also this week about is how markets seem to be pricing in all of 2017 already. So this year, kind of this last three weeks seems to be in anticipation of fundamentals getting a lot better, finally seeing a lot of earnings growth next year. Also, some of these policies that may or may not be implemented. Um, So it's great for the closeout of this year, but I don't know if next year comes around. A lot of skepticism I've been hearing about, like, if we'll actually keep rising into next year, if we'll just kind of have a flat 2017. It seems like the end of this year is essentially by the rumor. Is 2017 going to be sell the news? That's a really good way to look at it, yeah. Now, getting back to your sort of point, I mean, you look at it from the earnings perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, Corporate earnings are looking better. Economy is looking better. Um, You also have, you know, the Trump policies, which people are taking the bullish bet, at least now, on. What coming up could derail this rally? I mean, because December is, I think, the best for the Dow and the second best for the S&P and NASDAQ in terms of monthly performance. From what I hear, it's the Fed. And and the reason for that, even though yields have been rising, bonds have really been selling off, um, but there's still this remembrance of last year when stocks kind of got hit. The market kind of got hit after the Fed raised rates last December. So from when I talk to traders about what could stop this rally, they say, well, maybe the Fed. We'll see. No, it's a good point. I mean, because keep in mind last year when and, and this year, if you look at what the markets are pricing in, right, 100 percent certainty that we'll get more than 100 percent. Yeah, at times, right, more than 100 percent as as illogical as that is. <laughs> um, but the setup was very similar last year. Right. I mean, everyone's like, oh, yeah. you know, everyone expects this to happen. And exactly. yet as soon as it happened, things went haywire. Stocks fell um, across the board. So. But, I mean, the, the real concern last year, I mean, it's sort of in 2020 hindsight, um, is the fact that the Fed came out and said four rate increases in 2016. And the market sort of had a bit of a freak out about that. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't expecting it. They were expecting slow and gradual, and this was not as gradual as they were expecting. And that was sort of part of, I think, what drove it. The other, you know, there are other sort of central banks, too. There was... You know, Japan and the ECB sort of disappointed the markets back in December, too, which I think added to it. 
But as long as like we sort of get what we expect from the Fed, which is they're going to take 2017 slow and steady and sort of see, be data dependent kind of thing, do you think then we're going to see the same uh, sort of reaction? Well, it'll be really interesting to see because the the way if you look at financial markets pricing in, like Corey said, all of this growth and that that hasn't happened yet, and in fact there aren't even policies in place that could yeah. make it happen, and yet the growth is priced in. At some point, you have to you have to think like, okay, if this is what the growth is, inflation expectations are going to start to rise, and the logical flip side of that is that the Fed is going to raise interest rates more swiftly than I think people anticipate right now. So you can't have it every single way. And right now the, the markets seem to want every single way. So I think I think, I think think a risk that there are going to be, you know, th- th- this idea that the Fed is going to have to act multiple times next year probably isn't fully digested right now. I think that's still a risk in the same way it was last year, whether it comes directly from the Fed or just, um, you know, economists. I, I, I think that's not out there yet, although everyone knows that it's a possibility. It's sort of a, a, you know, I hate the thing, but it's a known, known. Yeah. Well, I'm also, I'm sitting in Paul's seat, so I feel like I have to be the cynic here. <laughs> and you look at the fact that, like, how many years have we, we've said over and over again, oh, the second half is going to be better. And this second half has been better from an economic standpoint. The data has been improving um, steadily. However, with that said, we've had over and over again, we've been disappointed with the first quarter. Yeah. The first quarter has been a rough quarter. GDP has been has come in lower. The stock markets have seen a lot of heightened volatility because of that. Um, and then the other thing, too, is corporate earnings might have finally turned positive this third quarter. However, they are not strong yet. Yeah. Um, I mean, are we overstating the, you know, the corporate earnings and the strength of this economy going into 2017? Well, the what I mean, to jump on the cynic train, um, oil is definitely, I think everyone expected it to at least end the year at around $50, if not higher. And just today, we had a three and a half, four percent sell off in the price of oil back down toward $45 a barrel. That's not going to be enough to give a big boost to uh, earnings growth. Um, And that's what we do need to see in next year. So that's a problem area. Yeah. And I mean, if we don't get like, keep in mind, a lot of the enthusiasm in recent weeks has to do with, you know, the potential for tax cuts and small caps in particular. I saw like one note last week or no, it was this week. It's still just because we had Thanksgiving doesn't mean the week has passed. (laughs) But, you know, people are talking double digit percentage uh, profit um, boosts in the next year when you're factoring in EPS just for these things that haven't happened and, in fact, haven't been proposed. So, yeah, I, I, will it actually materialize? It's hard to say. If we if we don't get if we don't get something like you know a meaningful tax uh, proposal for tax reform, I, you know it could be more of the same. And as Corey points out, energy companies are not going to be a help if we don't get what everyone expects, which are mm-hmm. you know stable and if not higher oil prices. So. I would say there's not a lot of wow factor uh, right now in earnings. I mean, the benefit is oil prices did bottom in the first quarter of in 2016. So from a quarter over quarter, year over year, I mean, year over year, not quarter over quarter, year over year basis, that's a positive. But you're right. Oil has been the big drag on earnings um, for the last – since, you know, it started sliding in June of 2014. Mm-hmm. And um, in – 
staying in this range is fine, but we're not, you know, how much of the growth are we really going to see? Yeah. Um, I think that's a good place to take a break. We'll be right back after this. Love tech? Dig gadgets? Then make tech news briefing from the Wall Street Journal a part of your day. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello and welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. For more podcasts, check us out at WSJ.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcast and become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now look for us on the Google Play app on your Android devices. Um, I wanted to get back to small caps, and not just small caps, but various sort of sectors that if this enthusiasm, that this post-election enthusiasm begins to fade, might hold up better. You have a piece out. You had two pieces out today, Chris. Um, you know, one looked at the small caps from the idea, and we touched on this earlier. But I was wondering if we could, you know, sort of delve a little bit deeper. Why the policies benefit? You know, why all the Trump policy seems to, you know, come up winners for small uh, caps? Right. So, I would say that small caps in a, sort of touch all of the bases of the quote unquote Trumponomics. Right. First, we, like we talked about a little bit, is this this idea that there's going to be tax cuts. Um, domestic companies typically have the highest effective tax rates. That's just because multinationals can defer taxes they they make on revenues overseas. So they just they just tend to pay have the highest tax rates right now. So if there are cuts that say come from something in the 30s to 15 percent, um, which is you know what was talked about and may or may not happen at all, small caps just stand to benefit most from that. So that that's sort of one thing. And you've seen that even like the the companies with the highest tax tax rates that are um, big caps too, like telecoms and others have have actually rallied most more than things like tech stocks, for instance, right? So there's the tax thing. There's also this idea that um, deregulation and things like energy companies and banks, if you just look at the composition of the Russell 2000, there's a ton of uh, regional banks, a lot of financials. So this idea that, you know, there's going to be uh, Dodd-Frank is yeah. going to be repealed. I mean, so, th- so there's this, like, deregulation is going to trickle down. That's the, re- the regulatory cost tends to be a far bigger burden on smaller companies than it tends to be on the bigger companies, especially in the financial sector when, you know, J.P. Morgan versus your local community bank. I mean, not saying that's what makes up small caps. But th- as you go down, the regulatory burden becomes greater. There's also this idea, too, and um, our colleague James McIntosh actually had a good a good sort of piece about why he thinks small caps is overdone. But there's this idea that the dollar has rallied a lot mm. since the election, and small caps being domestic companies that do most of their business in the U.S. are insulated from that. Whereas if you're selling you know, goods, if you're a big multinational and you're selling into Europe, guess what? What you're selling just became more expensive. So um, the, fl- the other thing, which is interesting too, is, is and I think it speaks to the fact that the knee-jerk reaction, and I guess it's not so knee-jerk anymore because it's two and a half weeks after the election. It seems like it's taking hold. But this idea that all of the good potential policies are priced into stocks. With small caps, it's interesting, too, because um, while in other corners, this the, you know, the, the, the anti-globalization, anti-trade, perhaps we're going to see some tariff things, hasn't really shown up anywhere. But if it does, small caps then again are sort of in this position where Guess what? They don't. They don't trade. So they're also going to be insulated from sort of this. You'll call it the bad, 
quote-unquote bad side of Trumponomics. Um, so they sort of win in every way, sort of. And yeah. that's, that seems to be what the markets are priced in. It's like, tw- like almost a 13% gain. With one big caveat. That, you know, none of this <laughs> is actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I think there are two big caveats. Well, none of these are we, we you know, have come, come in, uh, into effect. And the other thing, too, is there's a big question of what these, you know, the trade law, uh, you know, um, if we get into trade wars, um, what the impact of that's going to be. Is that going to push, you know, the U.S. into, uh, you know, a recession or not? Um, you know, that's the, 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 you know, sort of the bearish, case, you know, scenario on this. Um, and if the U.S. goes into a recession, small caps are going to, you know, get dragged down just as much as – And probably, probably more. more yeah, right, they're more volatile. More volatile than the multinationals. But, yeah, I mean, for now, it, it just keeps keeps going up. And I guess the – if you look, the, if, if they rise again on Monday, it would be the longest streak all the way back into the 80s. So we're sort of reaching this historic territory in terms of how long this keeps going. And so I think if you're going to watch one thing – as sort of a metric of whether or not markets are believing in the Trumponomics, it's small caps. I mean, if it and the valuations are also right. getting rich too. Yeah, even in two short weeks, it's gone. If you just look at um, trailing twelve month earnings, something something like eighteen to twenty in a span of two weeks. So it's you know, it's a little it's harder and harder to make the case that they're undervalued, which people had made the case pretty successfully, I think, earlier this year. What about value stocks? I mean. You know, people have been piling into them, not quite at the rate of small stocks, but they've been outperforming the broader index. Yeah, value stocks is another another interesting, I think, lens to kind of look at what has benefited most recently. So, you know, think about what you're trying to do with value. It's like the Benjamin Grahams of the world. Th- these are stocks that are undervalued and the market doesn't appreciate it. Well, they've been way out of favor uh, all the way back since 2009. With the Fed keeping rates super low, it's been growth names. It's been Facebook. It's been Amazon. 2015, right? We heard about the fangs, 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 fangs. Heard about it an awful lot. But this year, it's been a reversal where the value stocks are actually beating growth by a significant margin for the first time in a long time, for the first time in almost a decade. And that was in place since the summer. But really, again, since the election, it's it's amplified even more. And what do you have inside a lot of the value um, ETFs or even, you know, active funds that focus on what's undervalued. It's financials, it's mm-hmm. energy, it's industrials. It's all the things that are supposedly going to take take off. Um, so it'll be, you know, from my perspective, if you look at what we did for the morning money beat, our newsletter today, while things like banks that are up over 10%, things like small caps where it's like a little bit maybe hard to justify putting money in for something that's gone up 15 days in a row, value not only in small caps but in large caps kind of looks like a reasonable it's just it's been so out of favor for so long that this is a style that could kind of pop back in um, if you have this change whether or not this materializes a change away from what the fed is doing holding rates super low uh, to this world where it's a little bit more fiscal policy oriented value kind of seems like it's positioned better you know than than a lot of other things in the market because you've seen like utilities um just get just get smoked recently. So that seems like it's all that's sort of a ramble, but it seems like it's a little bit easier to justify putting your money into say a value fund than it is small caps or banks right at this moment. One of the questions, Corey, I wanted to get talk to you because mm-hmm. I thought this was interesting. We've here at the journal written a bunch about uh, y- y- you know, looking at Europe and looking at what could up- upend this rally 
and some of the concerns. And people have been pointing, I think, even more so than the Fed, um, at least internally, <laughs> at this uh, referendum coming up on December 4th in Italy. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the traders, investors that you're talking to aren't that concerned because they're looking at Brexit. Yeah. They're looking at Trump. Yeah. That was, that's been pretty good for stocks. Yes. And it's interesting. I think the the feeling, especially after Brexit, and then it was brought even – it played out even more clearly after uh, the surprise election of Trump um, – is that even if stocks start to go down after these events, they're going to pop right back up. After Brexit, it was two days of down and then right back up. After Trump's election, it was just overnight and then everything came back up. So when I talk to traders about the Italy referendum, yes, okay, Italian banks, they might get clobbered. But in terms of U.S. stocks, they're not that worried. They don't think from folks that I talk to, they say like, oh, we're not that concerned about the referendum, they point to the Fed as really being what could stop these gains. I mean, I guess the question, are they concerned about the sort of uh, the ripple effects of this referendum? I mean, this referendum is pretty much just a constitutional, like, you know, reduce the number of people who have, you know, necessary, you know, who are going to be voting on legislation, you know, things like this basically make the bureaucracy of making laws simpler in Italy. That seems relatively, you know, boring and straightforward and wouldn't have necessarily, you know, effects across um, the world in the financial markets. However, Italy is is not Greece. It is a large economy at the heart of the EU. And it is, you know, the, their prime minister has um, – has basically said, I'm going, you know, like, I'm going to end our government if this, you know, passes. Mm-hmm. Are people worried that that could start once again raising questions about um, the EU? Sovereign debt in the EU is going to sort of, you know, it's got to rise. Well, those questions yeah. have, have been there for years, right? Yeah. And they're always there. It's always, it's whether it's on the front burner or the back burner. The one one thing that we wrote earlier this week, or was it last week? It's again, it's running together. Yeah. But if you look at if you look at the options market and implied volatilities, which is you know a little bit, um, a little bit arcane maybe for most investors. But if you if you it's basically is sort of the fear gauge of Italy versus the fear gauge of the rest of Europe. And to be sure, before this referendum, as you'd expect, people are concerned about Italian banks. People are concerned mm-hmm. about the Italian stock market, but not so much about the rest. Of Europe, it's sort of this idea that is: are we going to see the contagion? Maybe, but I, you know, I'm not going to put money protecting because, as Corey said, time and time again, it's sort of like we have a big panic, and then two days later, things are fine. And it's but, also the short term. Right. I mean, it's like with Brexit, I think that a lot of when I talk to portfolio managers who are more long term, they are concerned about the long term impacts, but there's this sense that kind of don't fight the rally or don't fight this momentum that we're seeing. So in this shorter term period, stocks are just going higher. Um, but yeah, in the years right. to come, this these these types of referendums and votes could have major impact on the world and global economy. Absolutely. And this is right. You're exactly right. This is sort of the short short term. Is this is, you know, are the news headlines that I'm reading today, if you're a portfolio manager, you know, grounds to change your entire portfolio? What people are saying is no. I mean, yeah, longer eventually, term. Eventually, maybe. Eventually. But it's no, it's no longer, I think, this acute fear because um, we 
sort of been through it in the short term a lot. And um, yeah, it's a reconciliation of the short and the long term. And the long term is obviously important, but the short term, <laughs> everything the, the snaps short, back. The sh- well, but, but that's the thing is the short term consistently yeah. is – I mean I think people always want to look at the markets as making a call in the long term. And in reality, the markets are really more or less making a call in the short term. And, yeah, and even portfolio managers whose job it is to look for the long term, they still have to report quarterly returns. And if the market – like right now, after even if they think maybe with the Trump administration with protectionist policies and they truly believe that protectionist trade policies could harm U.S. stocks in the coming years, they don't want to miss out on this rally. And it's not it's not prudent um, for reporting back to shareholders either or their clients. I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. Thank you for joining us. This is Steve Grosser with Corey Drebush and uh, Chris Dietrich. Come back next week. Want to retire rich? Check out the Watching Your Wealth podcast for everything you need to know about building your wealth and protecting your money. Only on WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.